Okay, so we're trying to keep together real distinction, so distinction in the real order, so not just according to like our way of knowing that it's like, you know, your mother could be your mother, president of the bank, and you know, police officer, so three logical perspectives on the one same person. No, distinct in the real order, and but at this but they're co-equally God, one same essence. How how can we keep that together? So we're looking for some analogy, some image, okay? And so we're going to come up, I'll review some things to start with. And then, as I was saying, you know, we in second grade, those can have second grade images, but then we should move up as we get older. <clears throat> and then we'll, if we, as we have time, we'll uh, deal with the concept of relation, which is really a crowning achievement uh, in Aquinas. So it's, it's already beginning in the in ancient fathers like Gregory of Nazianzus and Basil and Augustine, but Aquinas really um, perfects it and makes it do the heavy lifting in his theology. Okay, so what are some of these models of the Trinity? Okay, so you probably all heard the clover. In fact, Father Sebastian asked me if I'd seen this um, YouTube video where, where you know, it's a humorous thing about uh, the Trinity and, and uh, uh, Patrick <laughs> trying various uh, articulations of the Trinity. So um, the clover, so I mean, there's one life, has three leaves. So does that work? Okay, where you could similarly, like, three matchsticks, one fire, or ice, water, vapor. It's the same substance, but it's three phases. Okay, but you can see the problem with any of those physical images is that one of them is not the whole thing. So, like, one leaf is not the whole plant. You could pull one leaf off, and then you'd have one-third. Whereas God, the Father is the whole divine essence. He's not, like, a third of the divine essence. He's not one-third God, and then you add in the Son and the Spirit. Each is one, the whole God. And the whole divinity is communicated by the Father to the Son. So those images, so it gives you a chance. You say, well, one life, okay. But, but those, those fall down pretty quickly. And then you could say, well, um, how about the family? Okay, and that can give you a start. You say, you know, um, so love gives, uh, so you have a, a father. Well, actually, see, they're already, I'm just, it's, it's a little problematic just in the way I was thinking. But, okay, so you have the, the Holy, the child has, is, occupies the place of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit proceeds as love. The child is, is born out of, out of love of the, the, the father and the mother. Okay, but um, first of all, you have two parents, right? And um, if we're talking about father and son, the, the father alone, this is actually, this is an East, the Easterners do complain about this because if they misunderstand the Western position by saying that the spirit proceeds from the father and the son, it's not saying the father alone doesn't have the power to spirate the spirit. If he didn't, he couldn't give it to the son, right? For the son only has what the father does. So if the, if the father only had 50% of what it takes, then the son only has 50% of what it takes. So the father alone is a sufficient principle of the son and of the spirit. So that doesn't work, right? Because you have two parents to produce the child. <clears throat> um, also, you could have many children. But see here, the son exhausts what it means to be son in the Trinity. So that also doesn't work. But you could see, so, you know, many members, one family, so... Yes, that's, that's some sense. But also, the, um, the son is what makes you a, a son or a daughter is to be born, to be generated. And so if you, in, in the family model, as often conceived, right, you have the, the father is the father, the mother is the son, and the offspring is the Holy Spirit. But wait a minute. The, whole, the son is the one who's, who's born um, by way of, yeah, who proceeds by way of birth. So really, the Holy Spirit should be the child, and actually, one of the uh, um, Cappadocian fathers says that. He says, Seth occupies the place of the Spirit, but then you have the Son in the place of, 
of the mother. And then, so there, so there are many ways to go wrong, so that, that you can see the limitations. One other possible problem is you can say, because we know families, we say, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah, I understand the mystery of the Trinity. Like, no, no, that's, that's not it. Okay. So uh, God is not like creatures. Creatures reflect something of God, so we can see uh, things about God. We learn the faint uh, reflection, but we shouldn't think God is, is like us and say, oh, well, it's this way for us, so it's this way for God. So that's another danger. <laughs> then there's the patristic image somebody already referred to with the light. Well, actually, that was the light from light. The patristic image actually is also the splendor in the light. So the father is the light and then the son is the splendor coming out. But, okay, is that, are those really distinct? Um, there also aren't three. So any physical image, any image, of course, is going to limp. But we have, the, the, the analogy I'd like to spend some time thinking about is the best one we have. And St. Thomas says, if, if, we didn't, if we didn't have it, we really, you, you really wouldn't have a grasp of the Trinity. Right, you could again say what's true, but but to, to lay hold of it, you, you really would be extremely limited. So it's the analogy of the word and love. It's also sometimes you hear people call it the, um, the psychological analogy. But the, uh, well, in the question session, if you want to know why that's better <clears throat> than psych, than psychological, we can talk about that. But so the analogy of the word and love. This analogy is proposed by Augustine and perfected by Aquinas. So this analogy looks at the human being, right, and says, okay, so we're created in God's image. So do we have, can we find an image of the Trinity in ourselves? And how would we find the image? Well, um, we're no, what makes us in God's image? We're knowers and lovers. God is a knower and a lover. He has an intellect and a will. Angels have intellect and wills. The other animals participate in that, but they don't have, they don't think in universals, right, in, in immaterial Ways so they they don't share they aren't said to be made in his image. So we have a, a, an intellect, a, a concept. We have concepts in our intellects, and then we have, you know, the beloved. How is the beloved in you? So um, when you know something, you have that thing in your intellect by way of similitude. Okay, so so how? So just think of if you're looking at something. I'll use an analogy. This is my analogy, so don't blame this on Aquinas if you don't like it. But. So, you know, you're looking. I'm looking at this pen, and if like a, a an eye doctor could look and see a, a purple pen on the in the lens of my eye. Now, I'm 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 seeing the pen, but I'm, I have a similitude of the pen in my eye. If I actually had the actual pen in my eye, I'd need I wouldn't see anything, right? I'd need to go to the hospital. But I have a in 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 my eye when I'm looking at this. I have a, a, this, a purple pen made of light, right? Because it's, so it's, it's translated into the order of light. So I have on my eye that it's made of light. So there's a similitude of this in, in my eye. And of course, we, right, we have it upside down. It's really small, right? Think of the tilma of Guadalupe amazingly, right? They looked microscopically at, at Our Lady's eye. And you see um, her looking. So you see the, the bishop and... Um, uh, like a servant or something, you know, amazing. Okay, so we know in this, in the same way that there's a similitude in our eyes of made of light. When we know something, what we do is we translate what comes through the senses into. You could say we have a, a similitude of it. If I'm knowing this pen, I have a similitude of this in my eye made of light. I have a similitude of this in my intellect made of idea. Okay, now that's that's what I'm saying. That's my vocabulary. But so we amazingly, this is um, an amazing thing we're able to do. We 
abstract concepts, universal concepts, because it applies to all pens, right? The idea I have a pen applies to, to all pens. So we abstract universal concepts from through our senses, right? This also, this Aquinas takes this from Aristotle, who steers a brilliant course between um, materialism and idealism. So, like for, for Plato, he, he thought that, you know, you, you can't get, like the idea of a triangle, right? You can't get ideas from material things. They just, they're not good enough to, you, like you'll never see a real triangle. Because let's say, you know, you even took, you know, laser beams, and because otherwise let's say you draw and you're like, what? Just it's all crooked. You know, look at a microscope. It's all crooked. How about if you took, you know, laser beams and you're, well, it'd still be imperfect. And also, as it's proved, all you need is high winds and there'd be no power and then you'd have no triangle. So, you know, these are not triangles. He wants ideas that are eternal, right? So for Plato, the material world is just like shadow, right? Shadow is, you know, you want, you want a real pen, there's, there's, a, there's a, a form, a subsisting form in the world of forms of a pen, pen writ large, you know, pen, right? And th- this, is, this is like, ugh, you know, this is going to run out of ink, somebody's going to throw it in the trash in, you know, three weeks. So that's not, that's barely a pen. So he thought you, you couldn't get to knowledge because knowledge is, is just too high. You couldn't get to intellectual ideas. So, um, so that's why reincarnation, right? He'd say, you already had them in you, right? And so, like, this kind of jars your the, the sense of just re- recollection, right? Just made you think of it, and you're like, oh, yeah, now I have to write the, the pen. Now, now it reminds me of that. And, and if, but if you're a materialist, you say, well, there are no ideas. You just, I mean, there's just, whatever, associations you make, electrons flowing, and it's kind of like magic, right? Epiphenomenon, you have this sensation of making association between things, but there are no universal ideas. No, but Aristotle has this, and Aquinas takes him, I mean, it, it, brilliant um, understanding. He says, no, no, actually we do an amazing thing. We, through our senses, right, the five senses, we uh, produce, get, get an image, so we unite the senses, all the senses together, and in our imagination have this uh, phantasm, an image, just Greek for image. And, I, and it's interesting, modern science, I think you'd say it's a neuron, like you know how the brain doctor, like he'll He'll touch, he's doing surgery on somebody's brain. He can touch a part and they hear like music, you know, because so somehow he's, he's, he's stirring up these images, these phantasms, but okay. So we, we uh, distill these phantasms and then our intellect translates it into the, into the order of idea. Amazing. So your, your intellect is, is, has a light, it's like shines, think of it shining on a stained glass window and projecting the image on the wall behind, right? So... Through the senses, we're able to produce, we do the hard work of going from material to the immaterial. We produce these, these ideas, these concepts. Why, why do I spend all that time telling you about this? Because in the analogy of the word and love, this gives us some uh, insight into who the son is. The son is the father's concept. God the father, understanding himself, knowing himself, produces a concept in, the divine, in, in himself, in, in the divine essence. And God's knowledge is so rich and definitive and productive, it's a whole other self, a whole other who's, as we, we already said, the Father's everything that the Son is except for Father. He's, he's like a copy, but not a copy like a, a second copy. He is, you couldn't have a copy, it wouldn't be truly God. He is the same divine essence, but he is the concept 
The Father's knowledge, which is so rich and productive, it produces a whole other self in God. And you could think of, you know, it's satisfying when sometimes if you if you can express yourself right when you can't, it's really frustrating. If you what if you could pour your whole self out in words? You just you just sometimes we come close. I, I think of maybe like the martyrs. That's also your action. But you know, sometimes there's a confrontation, and you say you could say, "This is who I am," right? Or "This is what I mean," and, and it's just very satisfying when when you can do that. Um, it's difficult. Now, we can't pour our whole selves out, first of all, because we're corporeal, right? And our words are, you know, I'm flapping my gums in a strategic manner to make sounds that you can interpret because you grew up hearing hearing them and then you know how to interpret the symbols. So, and, and, you know, my words die in, you know, a few seconds after I say them. And will you remember anything I said? You know, will I remember anything I said in about 10 years? I mean, I'll, I'll say, you used to teach that. I go, I did. It's great. You know, but so... Our words die, and, and they, they, but they're still as rich as they are, and it's, satisfying, it's so satisfying to be able to, to express ourselves, but, but they, they, they evaporate. God the Father speaks one word from all eternity, one word, his whole self, and that's the Son. The Son is everything the Father is, another who possesses the divine essence, who is not the Father because the Father is the speaker. The Father is the one who's knowing himself, producing the concept. So we have a similitude, right? Paul says in Colossians 1.15, he says, he is the image of the invisible God. Right? So he is, he, he's, he's everything the Father is, right? And, and Jesus says, you know, um, when Philip, to Catholic said, he said, just show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus is like, oh, Philip, how long have I been with you? Know I mean, come on. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because the Jesus, as he, you know, he comes, he reveals the Father. He is the revelation of the Father. He's the image of the Father. Everything that the Father is, except for Father. So, okay, do we skip anything? Uh, good. <laughs> so, so uh, well, so we, so, so, okay, but so we can repeat a little bit. When we know things, we produce a similitude of the thing we know. So this is the same way in, in our eyes, we have a similitude made of light. In our minds, what we're doing, we do this second nature. I mean, we're, we're made to do it. We uh, just are constantly receiving data through the senses, constantly distilling that into an image in our imagination, which, as I say, St. Thomas wouldn't have said, but maybe it's, these are you know, neurons passing through your brain. And then our intellect is like a, has a light, it shines, Right, and abstracts, pops, rips these things out into a new, into an immaterial order, so that they're that they're. So then you have all these things: pens, desks, persons, right? But made of idea, because you don't have the actual thing in your, in your. I mean, it's it's, it's material. If you had it in your brain, you also would have major problems, right? But your soul, your your intellect is immaterial. But so you you have similitudes, likenesses of the things, in in your intellect. And the word, this is what's helpful, is grasp, helps us grasp who Jesus is, the one who spoke to Lazarus in the tomb, right? Raising him from the dead, is the divine person of the word. So the one, namely, who proceeds in the divine intellect as a perfect reflection of the Father. So this is the one who's speaking through his human nature. Not the Father, the one who proceeds from the Father is no less than the Father, is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, the God not made. A similitude the Father produces in knowing Himself. A whole other in the divine essence. You, only have, you can only have one divine essence. So, and also, so that's the one who's spoken to you. 
right? So, uh, you know, and a word of forgiveness, a word of love, a word of encouragement, or, you know, maybe calling you to glory, saying you don't have to live like that. The Jesus who has spoken to you is the divine person of the word. This perfect reflection of the Father, God, but God, the word, proceeding from all eternity from the Father, who took a human nature to himself, born of the Virgin, and uh, now his words, his deeds, his, his um, very person manifest the Father and uh, for the point of saving us. Okay, let's try the Holy Spirit, because so that's actually where we were before I took that brief tangent. The Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit is the love of the Father for themselves and each other. So that's, the, think of how the beloved is in you. You know, um, it, so first, you can't love what you don't know, so first you, you, you know something. And then, and this is, Father Corbett has this great image that Brother, Father Sebastian probably um, have heard before. But the, the will is so, he, he calls it like a caged animal. As soon as it gets a whiff of the good, it's, it's just alive, right? You just want. So you, knowledge gives rise to, to, to love or to desire. So, or an aversion, often to something that you don't want, that you can have a strong aversion. But so the beloved, so you know, is in the intellect in a, as a similitude, right? As a, an idea, right, that you know. But in the will, it's not, it's not a similitude. Right? It's a driving what? Aquinas says an impulse. In your will, you produce an impulse. And there is a, there's certainly a driving. We've all experienced this. You know, you're, if you're really, really hungry and you see, I don't know, whatever your favorite thing, you know, pizza, the, you know, piece of cheesecake, whatever. You, right? you're, you're our, uh, you, you feel it's a driving force. You can, you know, if you're really, really hungry, you could scarcely you know, to keep you away from it. They'll say, wait, wait, you haven't paid for that. You're, you're, <laughs> um, or, or you know, so anything you or you really are, you know, uh, some uh, someone who you deeply respect, who's you know, done heroic things to protect you from some problem or something. Just the, you, it's a driving. You're, you are attracted to. You want to be with that person. So, the the beloved is in the will, as this impulse. So in the will, we produce. So we we are knowers and lovers in God's image. We produce a concept. And we have in our wills this impulse that drives us, right? Drives us to the thing that we love. So the Holy Spirit is to be understood as the, the love of the Father and the Son for each other and themselves. You could say God loving himself. The Trinity should be understood as God knowing and loving himself. The Son is the word, the concept that the Father produces in knowing himself. And the Spirit is this impulse this driving impulse produced by the Father and the Son. So the Holy Spirit who's spoken to you, you know, in the sacraments, in quiet moments in your life, charismatic prayer meeting, Pentecost, who is he? He's the fruit of the divine will in God's loving the perfect good, which is himself. So this analogy is, is helpful because it, it gives us some insight. Again, right, we're not proving God, we're, we're not pretending to know his nature, but you get some you know, intellectual grasp, some purchase on, on how he is. I did to interpret revelation, right? So it's not, we're, we're simply um, inventing things. We're trying to interpret revelation. So the son, so this gives us some sense of who the son is and who the, the spirit is. This, this similitude of the father proceeding from all eternity and this driving 
impulse of love. So this analogy also helps us to steer between the two heresies we, were men- we mentioned before, modalism and subordinationism, because they each make a similar mistake of taking procession as going outside of God. The right way to take processions of the divine persons in God is as what we could call an imminent procession, an imminent action. And that, if we look at ourselves, we see knowing is an imminent action. Right? So um, when you know something, you produce a concept, but it remains within you. Right? If you throw a rock, okay, it's, that's a transient action. It's going away from you. Speaking, right? It's, the, the voice is going away from you. But knowing is an imminent action, right? It involves a procession within the intellect of a word, right? A conception of the thing known. Willing, right? Loving is an imminent action. It remains within. It involves a procession within the will of an impulse, right? An an affection. Aquinas uses a different uh, number of different words. Impulse and affection. So with the word and love analogy... We have equality. This is what we're trying to keep together all the time. So this gets us a step closer. We have equality and distinction. Because we have equality because the procession is imminent. It stays within God. And whatever is in God can only be God. So this helps us just to keep our um, image Right, and, and then it helps us to, as we say, what are we doing? Elucidating the faith and ruling out error. So we think, oh yes, the procession is imminent. There's a concept, but even I, my concepts remain within me. So there's a concept that's imminent. So whatever remains in God is God. So that secures um, perfect equality, right? And then we have distinction because there's a procession where one proceeds from the other. So the knower is distinct from his concept. Nothing proceeds from itself. So the speaker is distinct from the word he speaks. Right? So, so in this analogy, we've, we've avoided uh, you could say big theoretical problems because we have, we're keeping together, we're, we're, we're forcing together in a way, right? We want perfect equality, we want distinction. Here we have a way to think of that together, right? So we say, okay, so the sun is the word proceeding. I understand that, and uh, I, you know, it gives me some sense of who the sun is. This, the spirit is this, this impulse, this driving affection. It's also imminent, so they're distinct, but they are remain within. So they are, although they're distinct, they are entirely simply God. So yes, the Trinity is understood as God knowing and loving Himself. That is the Word, as the known in the knower. It's true for us, even our concept, right? And the Holy Spirit as the beloved in the lover, right? So the the known how how is what's known in you by similitude in your intellect, and how is the lover in in your will as this impulse in the will? So this is also helpful because it in, it shows us the order and the intelligibility of the processions. So you have to know something before you can love it, and the spirit the sun proceeds not before on time, but the Spirit proceeds from the Son, so you think of the Son proceeding from the Father, and then the Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. Even in us, that's what we have. We have a, a procession of a concept in our intellect, and then from that, immediately, we have a, a, a welling up in our, our wills uh, this impulse, right, based on what we, what we know and whether we like it or not. So, love proceeds from knowledge. The Spirit proceeds from the Son. 
only, also, there are only two intellectual processions in us, and so we say, we see, again, we see a fittingness in God. Procession terminates in the procession of the will. So again, this is not a proof, but it offers us an analogy by which we can explain how it could possibly be true, right? Which just gives us you, you, some insight. You say, oh, wow, I, I have a, the terms. I have, I have some principles to work with. Because if you, if you explained, like let's say you gave Aristotle the, the creed or you told him, you know, explain it to him. Okay, so three persons distinct in the real order, one numerically same divine essence, you know, he would say, well, he said, wait, 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 you need to take my philosophy of nature 101. I mean, that's incoherent and impossible. Right, right? Rather, he'd say, distinct individuals of the same species, so they're specifically the same, are individuated by matter, like he points out, you say, same nature, right, all human, but individuated by matter. So uh, we each have our particular matter. There's no, if you have a purely spiritual substance, it can't, it can't, be, it can't be distinguished by matter, then they can't be distinct in the real order if they're the same nature. And we would say, well, we wouldn't have thought so either, but Christ came and revealed it. So we're not proving it, but we have some tools, these analogies, by which we can elucidate the faith for ourselves and show it's, that it's not impossible to, to resist. If, if Aristotle laid out his proofs, we could, we could show that his proofs aren't necessary and don't prove their conclusions. Okay, good. So now just for a few minutes we can come to what I would call the crowning theological achievement of Aquinas' Trinitarian theology, relations. So Aquinas understands the person. I'll just give you the, so the answer and then we'll figure out what he's talking about. He understands the divine person as a subsisting relation. What in the world does he mean there? So, with the analogy of the word and love, we have the idea of imminent procession, right? And that's helpful because it forces these two aspects of equality and distinction together. So, imminence, why? Because, there's, because of imminence, there's perfect equality. Because of procession, there's real distinction. But we're still, is there, you're forcing them together, but is there any single concept or term or analogy or something that knits these two aspects together just in the single term, right? So that one, that would also not signify or point us to action, right, what the person is doing, like procession, but would give us the person himself, the, the person, right? Namely, distinct, but fully God. Well, yes, relation can do that. Aquinas finds this, again, conceptual um, to this term, this conceptual insight this, by which he can put these, keep these two together. So, it's already suggested by Scripture. Okay, Scripture speaks, of, Jesus tells us there's a father and he's the son that comes from the father. Father are related to sons, right? We even call our, our relatives relations, right? Father and son are relatives, they're relations. It's also in the Eastern Fathers, the early Eastern Fathers, the fourth century, and in St. Augustine. So, and we'll come later to Gregory's uh, quotation, uh, which I have on your outline. But So it's already, it's there, but Aquinas perfects it. So what is a relation? If you think about, just basically, as I say, Aquinas, a sapiential view, just what is what is a relation? Well, it's it's a property. Aristotle would call it an accident. But it's, it's something that describes a substance, that says what a subject is. So Aquinas follows Aristotle, who said, in describing something, he said there are ten categories that 
that will, you just need 10 categories, and that will tell you everything, right? And some of these are pretty subtle, so they cover a lot of ground. But, but so, um, in fact, I'll give you those further down, right? Substance is the thing, it's just the thing, a, a, it's a being, okay? But also quantity, quality, action, passion, time, place, posture, habit, and relation. So, you know, how do you describe something? Well, what color it is, quality. How much, how big is it? Quantity, you know. What does it do? Action, passion, you know. Um, so a, a number, so you can describe, he, he thought that these were 10 categories would be enough to talk about, uh, to describe a thing, a substance. If you notice, all of these refer to the thing, you know, no kidding, to the thing, except relation. All these refer only to the thing except relation. Relation refers the thing itself to something else. Okay? So, I mean, this is, you say, no kidding, but if you, you may not have thought of that particular truth. So, and the, and the relations are based on these other eight, because there are, there, are, there are substance and nine other properties. It's based, relations based on the, the remaining eight. So, like, um, take quantity, right? I'm in quantity, like, I don't know how much this weighs, probably, if I'm about 200 pounds, this thing's maybe about 40. So, let's say if I'm, you know, five times as heavy as this thing, then if you say the relation with respect to quantity is I'm five times this podium. So, or you could take time, right? How old is this podium? I don't know. I'm 53, so um, I'm, older, I'm sure I'm older than this. But so, so the relation is based on one of these other properties and refers not just to the thing itself, but refers the thing to something else. Okay. So relations are... are Unique in this way, and so we're going to attempt some, some, you know, slightly more intense theology, theology here. But uh, we can set it in a more personally familiar context. And also, again, um, Father Sebastian told me how intelligent you were, and New Yorkers, or at least being in New York, I, 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 I believed him. So, because so so, what's the context that that you're familiar with? I'm sure. So, because God is a community, right? So so not solitary, but three persons related to each other. We are made, we who are made in his image, are made for community. And, and we die without it. I remember talking to uh, a colleague of mine in, in engineering school, a fellow student. Um, he was the son of two doctors, very bright, and um, we we're both engineers. And I don't know how we got on the topic, but um, we we're contemplating like a baby being raised. What if, what if a baby would just, you know, got food and water, but was sort of isolated, just, just you know, grew up in a, I don't know, a glass cube or something. I was saying, I mean, do you think the baby would survive? He's like, oh, you know, sure. He didn't see a difficulty. You know, I mean, and I was thinking, well, so you could, you could think, you could think, well, maybe the you know, kid will turn out with major problems, you know, be a serial killer or something, but, but he won't die. But I saw, I remember, I, I remember this example because I saw a documentary that, about panda bears, and it's, it said, so the panda bear is apparently not the most um, adept because, so one problem was she could roll over and, and crush her, baby. But the other was she had to she had to caress it. If it didn't if she didn't caress it, it would die. Now this is it was very interesting because that, that rejected now it doesn't mean all mammals are this are the same, but the idea that, well no, if, if it get if it got food and had oxygen, it'll live. No, if it didn't have its mother's caress, it would die. We're made even even mammals, so God's communal reality as reaches down even to the lower animals. To, to you know that they 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 interact. 
Think of solitary confinement, right? You could, um, people go crazy if they're in solitary confinement because you could say, no, what do you mean you'd be bored? As long as, they, you know, if they torture you, you, you go crazy. But I mean, no, if you're just in solitary confinement, you, people, you lose your mind. You become unstable. Also, and they say prisoners in solitary confinement will sometimes attack the guards, even though they will get the punishment because it's some kind of interaction with others, even if it means being, you know, thrown to the ground or something. So there's nothing more fulfilling than when we give ourselves in love and are received in love. And so we're made for communion, so we, we die without it. And um, celebrities verify all the time, right, that we, you know, you can have everything, but if you don't have true friendship, love, the, of the community of love, then, you know, become addicted to substances, uh, to cope with pain, uh, you know, committing suicide, doing so. You can have everything, but if you don't, if you're made for community, made to be in, in a community as, as God is, and so when we don't have that, we, you don't have to be, have it explained to you, you feel unfulfilled. So being at its most radical level is a trinity, right? A living community of persons. You could think, you say, well, no, existence itself, just existence is, you know, lifeless. It's just, think. no, actually, existence itself Existence without specification, just absolute existence, is a community of three persons. Okay, good. So what about this ecstatic character of relation? So relation borrows from, you could say, is parasitic on another substance. It has, so it has, this is what's so amazing, it has being toward, right? And it has being in. So quantity, all the others simply have being in, right? Uh, quantity, it's in the thing. Quality, what does it look like? It's just in the thing. Action, it's action. It's what it suffers. All these only have being in. So in their strict and proper meaning, they signify something in, in hearing, in a thing, in a subject. They refer only to the thing itself. But relation, in its proper meaning, signifies only what refers to another. That's it, Its job is to tell you Right, how you, this thing is toward that other thing. So it doesn't have to positively describe the subject, but just order it to another. So that's why we say it, it has an ecstatic character, because it borrows reality from the other thing. So because of this, and this is the theological interest, among the ten categories, substance and those other, and then the nine properties, relation is the freest of the limits of the material subject. Right? It's, it's the thinnest. It's, it's the weakest, in a sense, of, of all the properties and most distant from substance, right? Because it doesn't even have to modify or talk about the thing it's in. It just can order it to, to uh, something else. Therefore, it is the best category. So this is, I say Aquinas deploys this brilliantly. It's the best category we have to apply to distinction. So what's distinct in the Trinity? Why? Because it doesn't touch substance. It's the furthest away. So we have... Conceptually, remember, we're just looking for some way to say, you know, God's so far above, yes, but is there some, can we get some theologian to figure out something to get, to get some uh, way to think about this in a single concept? Yes, in relation. It doesn't touch substance. It, all it does is order you towards something else. Well, that's perfect. That's exactly what we want. So let's, if we see Gregory of Nazianzus' um, quotation there from the Oration 31, he says, it is their difference, he's talking about the Father and the Son, 
It is their difference in, so to say, manifestation or mutual relationship which has caused the difference in names. The son does not fall short in some particular of being father. Sonship is no defect, yet that does not mean he is father. So he's saying, because he's saying, so they're the same essence. So how are they distinct? Well, by mutual relationship. They're, the son is everything that the father is except for father. So the father is the divine essence, yes. Is the son the divine essence? Yes. Well, then they're both the father is the son. No, because the son proceeds from the father. And so we can understand this concept of relation. It doesn't touch substance and make them different substances, but it gives us real distinction. So Aquinas will brilliantly align the aspect of being in, right, that aspect of relation, it's in the substance, He's going to align being in with the divine essence, right, with the unity of the persons, with their equality. And he will align the aspect of being toward with the persons in their distinction. This way, there is not identical unity on one side and distinction on the other, right? That's the problem. We're always trying to keep, keep, say, keep these two things together. We know they have to go together. We know it's a mystery. We can't wrap our minds around it, but we just want to stick these together and they keep it's hard or they're coming apart. In the concept of relation, then, these two aspects, right, one and three, perfect unity in essence and, perfect dis- and, and real distinction, converge in this one concept. So I know, and explaining in a few minutes, I know you're not going to put it all together, but you should be aware then, as I say, so you don't, we don't remain at a second grade level of understanding the Trinity. There are ways to talk about it. We have the analogy of the word and love, and relation is a way that we can Speak coherently. Remember, what are we doing? Ruling out error and elucidating the faith. So we're not pretending to prove. We're not pretending to uh, grasp God's essence. But we're, we're penetrating and laying hold of, doing a lot of hard work. Nothing's more toilsome. You know, nowhere is error more, you know, is a danger of error uh, more present. But nowhere is the fruit more, what does he say, um, uh, rich. So in this one concept, we now have a way to... to bring together perfect unity and identity of essence and real distinction. Now, so, good. So there are no, in God, and we already said this in the question session last time, right, there are no properties in God. God's not like a God that is good or a God that is wise. He is just subsisting wisdom, subsisting goodness. So God is essentially uh, everything that he is. So a relation doesn't inhere in him, Right? So each relation is simply the divine essence. And that's why Aquinas aligns being in, the being in aspect, with the divine essence. So the problem has always been trying to knit these two together in our minds and not just talk about one and then the Passover talk about the other. So Aquinas has found a conceptually brilliant way to do so. And again, without pretending to resolve the mystery, but to lay hold of it insofar as possible with our limited intellect, um, this is what he's doing. So, the person of the Father is the relation of paternity. He is the divine essence understood as being toward the Son. Now, that's a really short (coughs) phrase, which you could say, that's laying hold of the Trinity as well as you can. The Father is the divine essence understood as being toward the Son. The Son is the divine essence as being toward the Father. Why? Because he's the word proceeding in the divine intellect, as we said before, Right from the Father. The Holy Spirit is the divine essence right as toward the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son who are a single principle. 
So now we can think of the divine person, who is the divine essence, and yet is distinct in the real order from the other persons, right? So not just we see it from this aspect, but they are truly distinct in the real, in the real order. And we see that they are the divine essence, so they are um, in us, right? The relations in here, right? We're, we have tons of relations, right? I am a certain quantity with respect to this, a certain distance from it, a certain age, right? But those are all just properties in me, and, and they don't make me, you know, they show who I am at the moment, but I could change, and, and you know, if I move over there, I, my relation in terms of place has changed, doesn't change me. But in God, of course, everything in God is God, as we said. So the relation, we say, is subsisting. This is sort of platonic, right? As we said, the, 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 the form of pen, the subsisting pen, right? It's written like in the world of forms, there's just this pen. In fact, even if you, like for him, if you destroyed all the pens, it wouldn't matter. There's still, there's still pen, the idea of pen. Or the dodo birds, right? He would we'd say, the dodo birds are extinct. He would say, no. Okay, you mean the, those shadows of a dodo bird? The dodo bird is the dodo bird form. That's the real dodo bird. It's just dodo bird. And that's, that's still there. You can't, you know, that's just. So here, what in us are properties, God is, in God is subsisting. The Father is the divine essence. Um, so he subsists as a divine essence. He is being toward the sun, but being toward the sun, subsisting as the divine essence. Now that is, that's very mysterious, and I know I've been saying it fast, but you should be at least aware that this can be articulated, and uh, hopefully you'll uh, want to read about it more. So that's it. Aquinas understands the person as a subsisting relation, a relation insofar as it subsists as the divine nature, a relation from the perspective of existence. So this is how we understand in some small measure that the Son is the perfect reflection of the Father and all that the Father is except for Father. Distinct only because the Son proceeds from the Father and thus is related to the Father as his Son. Right? So how? Because the Father is a relation, the relation of paternity, distinct from filiation. One of your questions got right right to that. I forget who asked it. Um, That's it. So... Uh, one proceeds from the other. So as a person, right, an I, someone who says I, he is this relation, paternity or affiliation, subsisting as the divine essence. 